Hi, welcome to the Prescription Podcast. On this show, we present to you up-to-date facts on medical-related topics. We are your hosts. I'm Ian, a surgeon. I'm Zichin, a gastroenterologist. We're both practicing in Kuala Lumpur. We are on Apple and Spotify Podcasts. Please follow us for updates on new episodes. And today, we are on Season 3, Episode 3. And we like to welcome back our guest speaker, Dr. Kenneth Lai. We were talking about renal replacement therapy. Just in case you didn't hear the last episode... Dr. Kenneth is actually a consultant nephrologist and he's currently practicing in Subang Jaya Medical Center and Bukit Tinggi Medical Center. Welcome, Kenneth. Thanks for coming back. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Ian. Yeah. Okay, I think the natural progression of things since the last time we talked about chronic kidney disease is to move on to the next stage. I guess uh, eventually what patients don't want to hear but they may have to is to undergo renal replacement therapy, right? Yep. Yeah, so maybe just to kick things off a little bit, Maybe you can tell us just some rough statistics, how many Malaysians, if you know roughly, or how many patients who have chronic kidney disease uh, eventually go on to have dialysis, uh, renal replacement therapy. Uh, yeah, our very reliable Malaysian dialysis and transplant registry uh, actually has all this data. So every year we have about eight to 9,000 new end-stage kidney disease patients. And uh, the prevalent patients at the moment, at this up to 2022, should be passing 50,000 patients, uh, were, I mean, like nationwide. Mm. So, yeah, even though you see it's uh, eight to 9,000 per annum addition, not everybody survive, you know, and add up the numbers. So there are quite a number of patients that will pass away in that list. So I would mm. say that the prevalent end-stage kidney disease patient on uh, renal replacement therapy is about 50,000 patients at the moment. Yeah. Wow. So um, I think we did touch about how you know eventually they, they get to that point. I think what is beneficial for our listeners are first explaining what is renal replacement therapy. I think it's not really a term that is well known to most of the patients. Or do you normally talk to your patients and tell them, okay, you need renal replacement therapy or do you use other terms? I actually do use uh, renal replacement therapy. Ah, okay. uh, so I think we should start using this term uh, rather than just telling them, okay, time to start dialysis. You have three choices, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. So I do use renal replacement therapy when they are about CKD stage 4, which is mm-hmm. when the EGFR is less than 30. I start preparing them mentally, telling them that if you reach CKD stage 5 and you might need this uh, renal replacement therapy, and uh, in general, renal replacement therapy comprises of three different types of modality. The mm. most common one would be dialysis. And dialysis, they will have two types of dialysis, which is hemodialysis and the other one is peritoneal dialysis. Yep. So then the most uh, ideal one will be a kidney transplant. Yeah. Ah, okay. So, and yep. of course, there's always the third option of conservative management where mm. the patient doesn't want to have any dialysis or kidney transplant. They just want to live out their life uh, at that moment of time. Yeah, So we respect that, especially if they fulfill certain criteria and if they are at the uh, lifespan, the expected lifespan of probably six months to a year, then you do not really need to subject the patient to some any form of dialysis or transplant. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned about stage four you start preparing them and you start the dialysis or start intervention when they arrive at stage 5, right? So usually, what is the timeline you're looking at for progression from stage 4 to 5? Okay, that, that varies a lot. Uh, that varies on the cause of kidney failure. 
it varies on what is the, the risk factor involved and how well controlled are those risk factors. It can be as fast as a year. It can mm. be as slow as even 20 years before oh, you okay. reach uh, end-stage kidney disease. This wow. really dependent on uh, how well you take care of that remaining kidney function, that 30%. If you mm. take good care of the kidneys at 30%, really, really well, and you do not have those like the notorious risk factors like like diabetes and high blood pressure and maybe the the reason of your chronic kidney disease is obstructive uropathy which uh, already in uh, intervene and mm. all and you're you're hoping that you only will deteriorate about one percent of uh, kidney function per annum. So in mm. twenty years, you hope that you only drop twenty percent and that's the time where you need dialysis where you have about ten percent kidney function. But if you, on the other hand, if you have very poorly controlled diabetes and high blood pressure, your kidney function can drop up to even 20% a year. Mm. So, yeah, so really depending on how well you're taking care of your risk factors. Yeah. Okay, I think I need to clarify some terms because our listeners... Um, so I think obstructive uropathy for all those who are not well known to medical terms is basically an obstruction of the passageway of the urine. Uh, basically from the kidneys down, further down maybe to the bladder, and that causes the, the kidney to malfunction. Um, and I'm just going to backtrack a little bit. You talked about peritoneal dialysis and hemodialysis. Well, you know, to some people, uh, they may have heard those terms before, but they're probably not familiar what it entails of. Maybe you want to describe a little bit what those two are actually. Okay, so uh, both modalities of dialysis, which is very common in our country, about 90% of patients with end-stage disease worldwide, even in our country, is on hemodialysis. Another 10% is on peritoneal dialysis. Why the discrepancy is because of probably the method and the availability of these uh, dialysis modalities. So, of course, the, the, the most common will be hemodialysis. Basically, a patient would need a, a vascular uh, access, yeah? Mm. either in the form of a fistula, which is a surgically uh, created uh, blood vessel that uh, yep. which is large enough for you to cannulate to perform mm. hemodialysis. Mm. Or if you do not have a fistula prepared, then you need to put in a dialysis catheter, uh, mostly on the net. Yeah? So that will give us a quick access to do dialysis. We only have about four blood vessels, which is big enough and accessible for us to put in a catheter. So uh, those are the two of them are in the neck and two of them are in the thighs. So mm -hmm. the procedure uh, comes with its risk of bleeding, vascular injury or vessel injury, blood vessel injury. So we always recommend patients to prepare the fistula early, get it matured. A fistula once created takes about two to three months to mature, to be big enough. Uh, to to use as a uh, vascular access for hemodialysis. Mm -hmm. uh, peritoneal dialysis, on the other hand, can be performed very, very close to the initiation of uh, dialysis. It can be performed probably about two to two weeks to a month before you decide to start the patient on dialysis. You mm -hmm. put in a dialysis catheter. We call it Tankoff catheter. Put into yeah. the abdomen. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is surgically in inserted. And we wait for about two weeks for it to heal. And then we start the patient on some what we call as low-volume dwells of these uh, peritoneal fluids into the abdomen. And after mm -hmm. that, we train them for about two to three weeks until they get the, the procedure, the methods right. Then we will allow them to go home. So how do we perform peritoneal dialysis? Basically, the patient has to be trained 
they need to know how to use that tank of catheter. There will mm-hmm. be a way for you to put in the dialysis fluid into your abdomen via the catheter. And once you put that fluid into your abdomen, usually about two liters of fluids, you let it dwell inside your abdomen for about six hours. Then after that, you have to remove them. Yeah, you have to remove this peritoneal fluid and insert another new two-liter bag of peritoneal fluid. And you do these exchanges four times a day, and you do it mm. every day. So the benefits of uh, peritoneal dialysis is especially for people who are still young and working. They cannot get off time to go to for hemodialysis. They can always do this before they go to work, one exchange. Then during lunchtime, one exchange at the workplace. Uh, another exchange when they come back, and the final exchange before they go to sleep. So it's very, uh, that's why they call it continuous ambulatory peritoneal dialysis because you can do it uh, continuously and you can ambulate while doing it. And uh, of course, there's another more advanced way to do peritoneal dialysis. We call it automated peritoneal dialysis, which you only do, usually you only do the dialysis at night using a machine overnight. And that's very convenient. However, those are very expensive. It's three times the price of a conventional CAPD. Yeah. So for hemodialysis, basically you go to a hemodialysis center, you get yourself cannulated to do dialysis four hours per session, three times a week, lifelong. Hmm. So I think probably that's why it's more popular because you don't need to do things yourself. You just ask someone to perform it for you and you have days off uh, dialysis. However, the efficacy and all is similar. The survival rate for both uh, modalities is also similar. So there's not Mm. much difference in both. Uh, The price of dialysis, both peritoneal and hemodialysis, is also similar. Mm. Do you want to enlighten us a little bit on what is the cost actually on dialysis? Because I understand that uh, over time, all period of time, and I think there are people who actually shy away um, because of the costing. Okay, in general, uh, the, there, there was a survey that was done and uh, the cost of uh, peritoneal dialysis per annum is about 38,000 ringgit and uh, the cost for hemodialysis is about 39,500 per annum. So they are quite similar. Yeah, but correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but those who go for hemodialysis, there is some form of subsidy, right? Is that the same also for peritonalysis in terms of in the government setting? Uh, in the government setting, both of them are free, more or less. Ah, yeah. Okay. But if you talk about university setting, back in the time that I was in uh, UM, there is mm-hmm. a, some subsidy. The dialysis, okay. the peritoneal dialysis patient need to only pay 700 ringgit per month. Yeah, I okay. think these are very, um, overall, the cost is still there. It's just mm. who's paying. So after all, I think the cost that in required to perform a annual dialysis is actually 39000 Yeah. So I think whether or not, of course, in the government, you may see it as free, but Government is still subsidizing it, subsidy. Yes. So the cost is definitely there. We cannot um, put up that, you know, it's free and uh, that, yeah. that kind of perception cannot be... still be, money being spent. Yes, yep. it is still uh, important to know the numbers and figures because uh, that can that is actually very important to help our patient to be compliant, you know, and to take care of their kidney before they actually enter the, mm, the hope so. stage where they need to dialyze. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because not everyone can um, benefit from the government setting, isn't it, Kenneth? 
Yeah, I think the usual waiting time to enter a government dialysis center, especially hemodialysis center, is probably mm. about one and a half to two years waiting time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that's why they advocate a lot of peritoneal dialysis because peritoneal yeah. dialysis, you can do it at home. And yeah. if you look at Ministry of Health, they only charge very, I would say, a symbolic 100 ringgit per month for mm. peritoneal dialysis. So mm. that's really very cheap. Yeah, I have a question about peritoneal dialysis. I always was under the assumption that not everyone can undergo peritoneal dialysis. I mean, of course, some things like patients with maybe a previous surgery, you know, if the tummy is not quite prepared for peritoneal dialysis, that's one. Uh, but I think also conditions of the home and maybe the caregivers also play an important role, right? Yes, definitely. Peritoneal mm. dialysis is a bit more complicated in that sense. And that's why, you know, Malaysian being Malaysian, uh, they're quite lazy. They like to choose the easy way out, which is hemodialysis. Yeah, we do mm. have a, a team to, for hospitals that provide peritoneal dialysis. We need to do like a survey of the house first you know, yep. see whether their living condition is uh, suitable yeah, for peritoneal dialysis. They need to have a, a space with a sink, with an area which is clean mm. that they can yep. perform these exchanges. You know, and, and the other thing is that like what you mentioned, the abdomen, those people with previous scars on the abdomen will be a bit more careful. We we'll probably mm. need to refer to the surgeons to have a look and see whether it's possible to insert it rather than, you know, a Saldinger technique. We probably mm. have to insert it via a mini laparotomy or something like that, yeah? And uh, mm. the other things that is uh, limits peritoneal dialysis is whether the patient is uh, fit enough to do it by himself. If yeah. they are not, there will be, they, they, if they can provide a carer, a dedicated carer to do it, that is still acceptable. Uh, if they do not have, they need to have dexterity to do the, mm. the exchanges and they need to see mm-hmm. If they have diabetic retinopathy and they are blind, eh, or they're half yeah. blind, you know, or very poor vision, yeah, they can't do peritoneal dialysis because yeah. that will risk what we call as peritonitis. Eh. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned earlier, um, can you mention earlier that uh, this peritoneal dialysis is more for patient, younger patient who goes to work and, you know, so that they're not working on the machine. So does that mean that they can also go for their holidays? traveling and all that is there any restriction okay as long as they can bring that bags along with them the dialysis fluid along with them yeah there's no restriction just that each bag is two kilos each every day you need uh, four bags so that's eight kilos let's say you want to go for a nice uh, five days holiday so eight times five so you need 40 kilos of fluid you can fly it you know you take you just add on the luggage allowance (laughs) Oh, if it's Chuti Chuti Malaysia, that's Chuti Malaysia. Yeah. yeah Chuti Chuti Malaysia. Yeah. <laughs> what about hemodialysis? Hemodialysis, yes, we can also travel. However, it's much more expensive. Like one of my patients actually went to Zurich recently. Uh, wow. went, yeah, went to Switzerland. Uh, she had to okay. book the dialysis uh, slots in Switzerland. So the cost of per slot is about 3,000 ringgit per session of mm. dialysis. I yeah. See. So it's very expensive. So- yeah. But it's doable. It's doable. It's doable. Okay. That's a globaldialysis.com website that helps you to book. So they just have to book, for example, the traveling time, you know, to be in between their dialysis time. Otherwise, yeah. they are okay. So okay. It's, it's very useful. The website, like for example, they will map out the whole Switzerland and there's a lot, yeah. lot of dialysis centers there. So you can choose wow. the one nearer to your hotel or on the way, like you can book one in Lucerne, you can book one in uh, Zurich, you can book one in... Uh, 
whatever you know wherever you go there's a readily Sounds like you were planning you were planning a holiday not her <laughs> oh no I was helping her to plan her holiday yeah, I know. actually yeah. I, know. <laughs> I see, I know. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So, so, so I mean it's good for the listener there to know you know that it's not a there restriction uh, to travel of course yeah of course cost does come into play but uh, it, yeah. it's not actually an, they, they become much more appreciative after they realize how much it costs to do a dialysis in uh, in Europe another country yeah the, yeah. the uh, if you if you're not a visiting person the cost is about mm. 2000 something ringgit per session compared wow. to our dialysis is about 200 ringgit per session so that's 10 times more yeah 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 sorry just backtrack again a bit sorry correct me if i'm wrong i may be wrong in this um but peritoneal dialysis is there any restriction in terms of which floor it's done say they have to do it on the second floor of the house versus the ground floor of the house uh no not really as long as you can really, get uh, the backs up that's fine okay yeah i i guess uh yeah that's quite quite detailed in terms of dialysis but when you once you you know you give this talk to your patients in terms of the types of dialysis and you offer them all the options i mean the things that we talked about are there any special routines that they need to undertake to take care to you know have increased the longevity of their dialysis site whether it's the hemodialysis or whether it's the peritoneal dialysis is there something that they normally need to do or you know just as per usual so uh, as for peritoneal dialysis really cleanliness is uh, very 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 important because uh, mm. if you you know that this catheter is basically direct, it, it goes directly to your peritoneal environment yeah, from the outside. So basically, it's a conduit that can bring any type of bacteria from your skin into your abdomen. So uh, the routine, the routine that you need to do when you do all these uh, exchanges have to be closely followed and have to be accurately followed. And sometimes we even have annual training, yeah? To make sure they know how to do it again, we check it yeah with our peritoneal dialysis nurse. Wow. So peritoneal dialysis is yeah you need to be really careful for hemodialysis unless you're using a dialysis catheter. If you're using a fistula, actually not too much things to be to to care about except make sure that nobody uh, compresses the fistula, so you can't mm -hmm. take blood or whatever using that arm. You do not allow people to to take your blood pressure using the fistula arm. And mm. if you have a catheter, then you have to be very careful because this is a similar thing, like your Tankoff catheter for peritoneal dialysis. It also has a, it invites the environment from the outside to the heart. Yeah, the kind of dialysis mm. catheter goes to the heart. You see, so if you have infection, that will be a severe infection. So yes, cleanliness is very important, and we try our best for for hemodialysis patients to do AVF, and we try to limit their duration on catheter to the shortest possible. Hmm. Sounds like quite a bit to take care, actually, you know. So cost of living increases, um, your move about, it's also limited. And I think, you know, for more importantly, as from our previous podcast, I think it's to actually prevent to getting to this stage, right? Yeah. So maybe other than dialysis, you know, is there another option uh, in re renal replacement therapy as we mentioned earlier, um, the transplant option? How well accepted, how is it, uh, what is the stage like at the moment in Malaysia? To be honest, in Malaysia, kidney transplant, uh, when we counsel patients for renal replacement therapy, we'll try our best to recommend kidney transplant as the first modality. Why? Because that actually is the potential cure yeah, for, right. for kidney disease. 
your hemodialysis mm. does not do everything that your kidney does. You still have to compensate with, you know, injections uh, to, to increase your blood. You know, take some vitamin D to help with uh, absorption of calcium, uh, reduces enlargement of your parathyroid glands and all those kind of things. Yep. So unlike your own uh, kidney, yeah, if you have a kidney, kidney transplant, you actually live almost like a normal person. You can't tell. Mm. All right. So a uh, kidney transplant is always the way to go, especially for younger patients. What we meant about younger patients means patients who are less than 60 years old. And mm. in Malaysia, we have two types of kidney transplant. One is living-related kidney transplant, which is somebody yep. who is related to you by blood. Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. the only one, it will be your spouse. Yeah? The only one non-blood-related will be your spouse, yeah, which is allowed. Mm -hmm. The other one is okay. cadaveric kidney transplant, where you have this uh, uh, national waiting list where yep. normally the main criteria is your dialysis vintage, like how long you're on dialysis and you're going to be put yep. into the highest part of the, the line. Yeah? So, oh. uh, cadaveric-wise, uh, it's difficult because uh, you had to wait for a, a, a dead donor, you know, and uh, mm. unlike living-related. Uh, we have yep. a lot, a lot of living-related donors, yeah. Uh, okay. But the thing is, our transplant program is still not fully optimized. We are still mm. not doing that many transplants compared to our neighbors. Yeah. 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 And that's, Is and that there an optimum time for kidney transplant? Uh, would you advocate to do it early or later? We will, uh, back in UM, we always, uh, we always advocate early, even before starting dialysis. Mm. Yeah. So, so we, especially the younger patients. That's the first line. Yes. No, no one look at the Pancreas kidney transplant for especially diabetic. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Sing Singapore did it. Singapore have yeah. their first. Australia so is doing it. Yeah, combined yeah. pancreatic and kidney transplant. Yeah, they had mm. it. I think about two three years ago, the first case. Yeah, yeah. But we are very 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 amateur. I, I would say because we are still only doing less than two hundred cases a year. Uh, of kidney yeah, transplant. Let, yeah, we have to be realistic and address the local issues. You know, I think advocating kidney transplant, same goes to liver transplant. You know, I think the whole transplant arena in Malaysia needs a lot of boost, right? Yeah, but I do see a lot of increase, a lot of uh, awareness, a lot of workshop that has been um, put out uh, recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. I, I think one thing for our listeners out there is uh, the take back from this is also in, in Malaysia, I'm sorry, I forgot the terms for this. Everyone can sign up actually to be donor, basically a cadaveric donor. But I think a lot of times the issue is uh, because this information is not shared with family, I think we've encountered many times where uh, the patient has a donor card, but the family's wishes is against the, the donation and in the end it gets cancelled. So I think if any of any of you out there who really wants to play a part and donate any of your organs, I think speak to your family as well. Make sure that they know this is your well intention, uh, so that when that time comes, this uh, wish can be processed. Yeah, and we I will put up the link as well. I think there is a website. Yes, the link. yeah, we will. Yeah, so we will we put will. up with this. Yeah, we pledge your organs. Yeah, the yeah. thing is, we are. I think we are put doing a lot to try to lobby for a change for this uh, mm. kidney donor system or any type yeah. of organ donor system. Currently, in Malaysia, yep. we have a opt-in system where you, like you know, you yeah, need to pledge. Yeah? That's a phrase. Opt-in, but to get opt-out system, you had to go through cabinet. You had to go to parliament yep. and everything. So yep. I think a lot of people yep. are trying to push for it. 
and hope that our current health minister will try to push for it. He's an advocate for transplant. We're very happy mm. to see him uh, very advocating it. And uh, hopefully yep. he can try to sure. change to an opt-out rather than an opt-in the system. Let's hope for that. Okay. Yeah, lots of information there. I think we talk about renal replacement therapy, you know, the current state of renal replacement therapy in Malaysia and hopefully of things to come. Yeah, we also even shared about, and we will put up that website uh, if any of you would like to be organ donors. Hopefully more people will sign up and we will have a larger pool and hence we can move forward with this uh, um, transplant program even better in the future. I, I have nothing else to say I'm, or, or kind of summarize. Any last words from you, Kenneth? Before okay, we um, probably... The other thing that I think we have yet to embrace is the conservative or the palliative part of uh, nephrology. The, the mm. third option, which I think uh, is a taboo. Uh, okay. Every time we have an unsuitable patient to do dialysis, they are very old, yeah. they have a lot of comorbidities, they have okay. a very short lifespan, they have heart, almost end-stage heart failure. We counsel, we counsel, and they agreed for no dialysis. In the end, when they are compromised, uh, they come in with fluid overload and... The family members, they look at their parents, they see that they are in suffering. So they beg us to start these patients on dialysis. And at mm. the end of the day, uh, patient suffers. They survive that ordeal, yep. but they pass away later, Another probably another one to two months later. So yeah. I would think that we should respect certain patients' decision. We do not have this at once directive in Malaysia, which we yeah. th I think we should start introducing it because, mm. uh, you know, there are certain countries where they have uh, this doggy tag. They will write that no yep. dialysis. Do not resuscitate. Yeah, yeah no, no yeah. dialysis or do not resuscitate. Or some even yes. put on the tattoo, you know. Don't dialyze me, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but Malaysia, we are still far from it. And uh, we always can't really go against family decisions. But, Seriously, mm. please listen to your nephrologist. If they think that this patient is really, really not suitable for dialysis, let them go uh, gracefully, you know, yeah, rather than putting them into all these unnecessary procedures. Yeah, with dignity, right? right? So sometimes, yeah. mm, I think I think a lot of us out there, uh, we, we do have to understand that, you know, and, and, and to advocate this aspect of treatment. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks Kenneth. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Good thanks so much. sharing and very detailed. Yep. Um, I think it's enough for our understanding for our listeners out there on uh, renal replacement therapy. Yep. When it is needed, what it is for. Uh, and we actually also touch on uh, transplant a little bit and also a little bit on palliative. So I think with that, thank you for coming on board again. If you have any question, please email us at prescriptionpod, P-R-E-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-O-N-P-O-D at gmail.com. With that, thank you for listening in. Thanks, Kenneth. Thank you. Thanks, Kenneth. Bye. Bye.